Welcome to the discussion, Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today, Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personnel Policy at the Department of Defense. Veronica, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Our discussion today is going to focus on human resources and before everyone kind of takes a big deep breath and, and gets all, oh no, right? right. Uh, we're going to talk about how modernizing the, the HR processes are happening and, and the Defense Department is really, I'll use one of your phrases that you guys are normal, the tip of the spear for a lot of these processes. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. I was at a recent event where they talked about the cyber accepted service. And yes, it's taken a long time to get going, but if you think about what they're doing, and this is a Marine Corps in this case, but every, I think all throughout DOD is doing this, is they're really looking at the pipeline of cybersecurity talent, and we're here to talk more broadly than that, but it's just one example of the modernization I think that's happening. So let's start there. DOD has modernized HR processes. Where are we with it? Give, give me the 50,000-foot view. Absolutely. So again, thank you. I'm really excited to be here because I feel like we're at the cusp in the HR community broadly across the federal space on achieving um, some significant transformation and modernization of our processes. And so from just a 50,000-foot level, uh, across the federal human capital community. We are looking at ways to modernize processes, uh, streamline regulations, think about how we can leverage new technology, business analytics into our uh, domain, if you, as we say. And so one of the things that uh, I like to say um, before we take it into DOD specifically is the framework that we had when we, we some of the rules and regulations that we had when we started uh, back in what, 40 plus years ago with the Civil Service Reform Act. Well, actually, I'm going to jump in. Uh, the GS schedule yes. turning 70 years old this summer. There you go. Did you right? know that? I did know that. No, I did you. not know that. And so <laughs> just the idea that the, 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 the occupations that were key back then, which were administrative, secretarial, where the average salary was $18,000 a year. And now here we are where we have um, information technology, data scientists, nurses, contract specialists are, are the key professions in the federal government with an $84,000 average salary, and we still can't compete. I think there's a, a vast recognition across uh, the government space that, that we need to change what we're doing. We need to modernize what we're doing through a variety of different lenses. And then we need to think about how we introduce machine learning and artificial intelligence to the HR community. So we aren't compliance focused, we are outcome focused, and we let the machines do the things that we do now, uh, which is that check the box risk type avoidance uh, work that we do. And so in DOD, we have three lines of efforts that we're working on in our uh, HR transformation, our modernization. Uh, management improvement, which is an acknowledgement that if we don't look at how we do our hiring business and our performance management business for employees, um, anything else we do from a strategic na nature is really gonna take a backseat because that's the first thing customers think about when they think about human resources. Our second line of effort is really around that HR reform that I was talking about. What are, um, where are there opportunities to change our regulatory framework? Where are there opportunities to streamline, simplify, and standardize our policies? How do we look at our HR service delivery and how do we optimize that uh, for our current resource environment and for our future workforce needs? And then in order to achieve all of that, we need to have the IT tools. We talk about uh, data-driven decisions, um, and we do a lot of that. We have, a, our, we have at our hands a lot of data, but how do we actually harness it, and how do we use machines to harness it in our IT structure? And so we have a couple of initiatives we'll talk about today uh, to modernize our um, human resources information technology infrastructure and rationalize it, um, and then also look at what we're doing in terms of our employee development um, ecosystem through initiative we have with OPM called USA Learning. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, let's, let's, let me back up on one thing though before we kind of dive into DOD. It's interesting you brought, you, you took us at the top level of what's going on across the HR community processes, regulations, technology, business analytics. And, and, and I hadn't heard that data before. I think it's fascinating, you know, in 1978, 1979, when the civil service reform happened, the average, average salary was about 18,000 and now it's 84,000 and still 
difficult to compete. I imagine back, and I wasn't, uh, I was only in, in, in grade school. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> imagine, <laughs> not quite, second grade. But I think uh, 18000 was probably a decent salary back in the late 70s. And now 84000 while no one would complain about right. it, it, the cost of living in places like San Francisco, New York, even places like Denver or Seattle, 84000 just doesn't compete with equal jobs right. when you're talking about technology. So let me take you from the broader perspective. When you see what's happening across government, what kind of conversations are having you're having with your fellow Chicos at whether it's OPM or, or, or other agencies? Well, it, it, many. Many, which is good. Many. Um, this has been an ongoing conversation we've had in uh, the Chief Human Officers uh, Council. Um, I think any forum that you go to that talks about human capital management, the conversations are around how can we compete um, how can we change from what is what was intended to be a monolithic system, right? Our Title V competitive service to uh, what now has probably more exceptions than the norm. And so, um, where are there opportunities to um, either modernize through with the support of Congress through statute change, or where are there opportunities for administrative change, uh, partnering with the Office of Personnel Management? Um, to look at where are there um, opportunities to delegate authorities. And then individually, I think each agency is looking at ways within their own authorities and discretion to be able to uh, achieve the different types of strategic and modern outcomes that we've been talking about and that we will talk about. So I, I, I don't know that I've been to a venue in the last two years where it hasn't come up. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that, and I want to delve into DOD just in a second, but it seems to me there's a wide recognition among the chief human capital officers community that change has to happen. Do you get a sense that, hey, this is government, this just sometimes takes longer than it should? Or is there some other, or is change happening, but maybe we just don't quite see the, the, the benefits yet? Meaning, uh, the best example I can think of is back in maybe the 2010, 2011 timeframe when there was a big push to improve the time to hire. Mm -hmm. and when you saw the results in 2012, 2013, and, and I think it was HUD, but it may have been somebody else, kind of reduced their time to hire from like 141 days to like 98 days or something. And, and that was a real difference. And that's right. average. So w what's happening that we keep talking about this need to transform, but we feel like, is it happening? And I know you can't speak for the entire community, right. but what are you seeing? Um, I think that there is, you know, the, the federal government's vast. And um, while we have a, a common underlying foundational infrastructure, um, the reality is we work very distributed. And I think there is progress. Each agency is m making significant progress in this area. And I, I really have to uh, give a shout out to the Chief Human Capital Officers Council because we have, over the last several years, really done a pivot to focus on where we can come together um, and, and leverage our individual strengths and share best practices. Um, we take each meeting and really dive into what are the different things that we uniquely are working on that potentially could be exported right, or scalable. Um, and, and from a DOD perspective, we like to say, you, 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 you uh, tease tip of the spear, but we also like to say we're a pathfinder. And we have the ability to uh, experiment and we have the resources and expertise to test out a new concepts and authorities. And so um, we take that role very seriously and we, we take it with an eye towards opportunities to export into other agencies as well. So um, there's really a sense of community and collegiality and a, a focus on actually delivering results in this area. If we can't do it at the macro level with, with wholesale change, um, I think we're all working individually to drive in the same direction. Let's talk about some of the progress DOD is making. As you said, there is progress. Maybe we should highlight it more, which is maybe why you're here. You talk about three lines of effort. Let's start with the top line. You mentioned, I think, management improvement around hiring and, and business performance. Right. Talk through that a little bit, what that means. Absolutely. Um, you can't talk about human resources without talking about hiring. I mean, what was the first example you mentioned, the huh. 2010 time to hire, right? And so so we always say if, if we don't solve uh, the hiring, ways to make gains and improving hire, the, our performance of hiring, then uh, anything else we do just loses focus, right? And so um, we have been working on um, our hiring improvement. We've stood up a hiring improvement working group. Um, and, and we wanna look at not just the timeliness of, of hiring, which is very important, because um, we wanna be able to compete, we wanna be able to find talent, get it in quickly, um, but we also look at the quality. 
there is a point where you can go too fast and not get the right type of people. So we have a cross component within DOD enterprise-wide working group uh, with, with uh, representatives from all of our components that are looking at ways that we can standardize um, how we do our hiring business. We're, we're a vast, we have over 900,000 civilian employees in the Department of Defense and uh, many, many agencies that are, are in the hiring business. And so while we have common IT infrastructure, we have different processes of how we go about doing it. And so one of the things we're trying to do is bring some standardization around what those different steps are. And once we do that, we can have a better understanding of where are those pain points? Where are those bottlenecks that um, are consistent across the department? Is it is it administrative? Is it a policy that we've put in place? Are there, uh, is it a training issue for our human resource uh, professionals and really Hiring is a, is, is a team sport, so is it uh, training or education we need to do with our hiring managers so that they can be uh, uh, full partners in the hiring process? And so our hiring improvement working group uh, comes together to look at those. Uh, in addition, I, I mentioned um, from, a, from a timeliness perspective, there's also the quality piece of that. And that is um, making sure we understand are our tools, are our processes attracting, giving us the ability to attract the right type of candidates. Um, are our hiring managers, are they engaged in the, the hiring process? Getting, are they satisfied? Are they getting the outcomes that they want? And so we've recently launched an initiative to um, reinstitute a quality survey for our hiring managers so that we can baseline their expectations. We know anecdotally uh, there's frustrations, there's challenges. I, I don't think I, I've uh, gone to a meeting and not encountered someone, the first thing they say is, what do you need to fix? Fix hiring. So um, we wanted to make sure that we can actually start to gather all that information more formally, uh, coupled with our ability to understand the process, um, and then make some actual specific changes. And, and then with that, from a hiring, we are in a unique position in the department in, in terms of the numerous authorities, hiring authorities we receive from Congress. And so when we think about process, um, process transformation, we have to think about those hiring authorities and, that Congress has given us that has said to the department, you, know, you have critical needs, you need to be able to go out and, and um, target talent and bring them in. Um, and oh, by the way, here are these gifts. Here are these 23 hiring authorities we received in the last uh, decade or so um, that are unique to the department. And now you have to go implement them and they're all a little nuanced and a lot a little different. So part of our initiative under this uh, first line of effort is how do we streamline that? How do we make the process easier? So if you're a hiring manager and you have 10 different authorities available to you, how do you know that? How do you know which one to use? Which one's the most effective? So we're looking at uh, ways that we can make that uh, more uh, digestible for our hiring managers, for the HR community, so we can use them uh, more efficiently in the department. Um, and hand in hand with that management effort is is the performance. And, and really from that I'm talking about employee performance and making sure that um, we're maximizing our employees' performance and where we have to address poor performance that we, we our supervisors have the mechanisms to do that. And so we have a couple of initiatives in that space that, that uh, we can talk about now or we can talk about later, depending on uh, where you would like me to fill that in. All right. So this time to pull on there. So let me just back us up for a second because uh, hiring managers comes up often is one of those areas where uh, when I talk to people like yourself in the chief human capital officers community, there's a lot of maybe some uh, call it frustration that too often you see someone say, well, I need to hire an IT person. Here's the requirements. They throw it over the fence and, and, they, and then when you come back with 10 candidates and they go, well, nine of them were awful and I don't know what they were thinking. And what, but okay, there has to be that connection. How are you guys, talk maybe a little bit about that survey you mentioned that of hiring managers and, and the quality survey. So it's, it's whether or not you guys are meeting their needs in terms of the quality of candidates? It's both. Okay. So, so it's, it's about understanding, and, and this is actually a federal-wide survey. It's a mm -hmm. Chief Human Capital Officer's uh, hiring quality survey um, that we're deploying in the department. And it really gets at um, satisfaction with the advice and counsel that you get from the human resources community um, and uh, satisfaction with the quality of the candidates. Did you get the right candidate? Did, were you satisfied with the certificate? Uh, we have a, uh, what 
historically or traditionally has been a post and pray approach to, <laughs> yes. to hiring, right? Put it on USA Jobs and they will come. Um, but the, the, the um, outcome of that is you get hundreds and hundreds of candidates for positions. And so we wanna make sure that we're working very closely with our hiring managers. If our hiring managers wait until a position is vacant to think about the competencies, the needs, right. the future, then we're late to, the, late to the game. And so the role of strategic workforce planning and how that fits into the hiring process um, is all tied into that survey. So we can start to figure out where are there opportunities to insert some formal training, some education, uh, some messaging with our managers to get them thinking more in advance of, of what their hiring needs are and how they can uh, more successfully engage the hiring process. Please tell me this is also a 360 degree review that, that you guys can review the hiring managers and, and give a survey of them. Because I, I, my impression is, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, is, is that with hiring managers involved with the HR staff to, to put out a request and, and look at the resumes and walk through that process, the, the end result is much, much better than if they just, again, I'll, you'll throw it over the transom and hope for the best, as you said, post and pray. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the role of the hiring manager as a subject matter expert in the hiring process is critical. Um, and we, we see more and more of that, explore more of, the, more of that. Of it's not just HR um, making those determinations for minimum qualifications or best qualifications. I think the more we can incorporate the hiring managers into the hiring process, the more successful we get to the best list, right. right? And eventually get to the best hire um, that we can onboard. And so, no, it's it, you know, while the survey is targeted directly to the supervisors um, and the hiring managers, uh, we also do our own uh, kind of evaluation, introspection on, on ways that we could do the hiring process differently from an HR perspective. So it, it definitely is a push-pull yeah. uh, in, in the relationship. Because until the connection's made, I think that there's always going to be that that tension between, well, I didn't get the candidates I want, well, your requirements weren't all that accurate or they were so broad. You know, I need someone who knows IT. Well, right. what does that mean? So, interesting. Okay, well, there's plenty more to strings to pull from, but we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. My guest is Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personnel Policy at the Department of Defense. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to the discussion Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Numbers tell us a lot, like 64, the percentage of government agencies who think they fall short on talent management programs. That leads to unhappy employees. When people are checked out, it reflects on their work and your agency. One, that's the number of talent management solutions you need to engage your employees. Do it all with Cornerstone. Stay compliant while giving people tools to meet development goals. Agencies thrive by helping their people realize their potential. Stay successful with FedRAMP authorized Cornerstone. CornerstoneOnDemand.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personnel Policy at the Department of Defense. Veronica, before break, we went through your top three priorities, management improvements, HR reforms, IT tools. You laid them out. We went through a lot of the management improvements. Let's talk, jump into the HR reform side of this. And, and I want to go back to one of the things you said earlier about uh, a working group, an enterprise-wide improvement working group. Give me a little bit of basics about that. Are they meeting weekly, monthly? And, and what are some of their outcomes, outputs that you expect? Absolutely. Um, this group has been uh, chartered for Gosh, I think it's going on about 18 months or so. So we've been we've been at this for a while, um, and it really is an extension of work we've we've done back to 2010, as you referenced earlier, in terms of looking at uh, hiring improvement. Took a little bit of a break and then said we need to revitalize this. And so they meet. Um, well, it's a community, so they meet regularly, just informally, but but formally they meet, uh, I believe, monthly. And we've asked them in terms of outcomes is to really look at. Um, defining the process steps in the hiring process and come up with a DOD enterprise process model that all of our components um, can use uh, uh, segments in the hiring um, that we can then take from that and build out training, build out education um, in each of those segments, and then build out processes that we can agree to. And, and it's really related to also some work that we're doing in uh, modernizing our information technology one of the outcomes is how do we need everyone on a standard enterprise approach, not only to understand uh, the impediments to timely hiring, timely hiring, but also because we want to use uniform IT tools. And so in order to do that, we need folks to be on, on the same 
uh, process model. And so that is also one of their outcomes. All right, and so set metrics so that we can understand um, where to focus our energy and our attention um, as we encounter these pain points. It's interesting uh, that you go back to the, the coming up with a process model. In some ways, is the goal if the Army and the Navy, the Air Force and Marines, when it comes to civilian employees now, if they're all hiring at least very similar or the same, you know, maybe the 80-20 rule or 90-10 rule, does that also give the opportunity to share the certifications more easily? Hey, if I know you went through these five steps, I can then take, hey, you didn't hire this person, but maybe I can hire them, or maybe I have an opening that fits better. Yeah, I think that's a long-term strategic outcome. Okay. Jason, I think every agency struggles with that. You're, you're hearkening back to the Competitive Service Act, I yeah. believe, and the ability to share certificates. Um, I think that's everyone's aspirational goal. We're not there yet, um, but where we are is really having the conversations to share best practices of how we recruit. So where do we go get that talent? Um, if, if one component, if the Marines learned, uh, you talked about cyber accepted service earlier and their uh, pivot to cyber uh, accepted service and, and deploying that in uh, Mars Cyber. So if they come up with some kind of best in breed recruitment strategies, we want this hiring improvement work group to be able to take that and export it across the department. So those are the types of outcomes we would expect. And just briefly, do you expect kind of reports from them every six months, every year? Because obviously work groups get together and work and work and work, but right. when can we do something from what, all that work? Absolutely, and, and actually it's, it's sort of a nice pivot to talk a little bit about our human capital operating plan, um, which is our link directly into the National Defense Strategic Plan, which tells us in the human capital community, um, come up with new and inventive ways of doing hiring, of finding talent. And so we have a couple of reporting requirements um, that we, we report to the chief management officer on what we're doing to improve hiring, come up with innovative solutions. And then we, uh, within the civilian personnel community, within the department, we meet monthly. Um, and as part of our human capital operating plan, we have initiatives and one of them is improving hiring. And so um, every quarter through our HR stat review, uh, which is our performance management review, we talk about um, where are we with these different initiatives? Are we achieving the outcomes that we want? Um, where do we need to tweak priorities, focus, resources? Um, and then every month we pick one or two particular areas to focus it on. And so um, the hiring improvement group, um, unfortunately or fortunately, I think they get monthly love <laughs> because this is of such importance to the department. I mean, it's embedded in our, our agency strategic plan and we track it because it's, it's something that fundamentally we have to fix in the department. I haven't heard that term HR stat in a couple of years. <laughs> it's good to see that they're still it's happening. Still out there. I always thought those were, uh, uh, we got statted out by the last administration right. with portfolio stat, stat and tech stat <laughs> and, and cyber stat, but it's good to see HR stat. One of the things that this group is doing is looking at, at, at making, simplifying, making uh, it easier for the hiring managers, the HR staff to use all these hiring authorities. There's 23 of them, you said, in the last maybe decade or so. Right. What are some, and then let's, how is this group or how is the Chico community kind of making uh, this, these authorities easier to understand and yeah, use? Yeah, it's, it's um, so we in DOD have received 23 hiring uh, flexibilities, different types of flexibilities from Congress, and it could be from something as broad as you have a direct hiring authority to be able to go out and hire any positions located at a depot or a shipyard or something as targeted as positions that are associated with business transformation um, or financial management as another one you mentioned earlier. And so what happens is as we receive these authorities, which are all slightly nuanced, individual, unique, you know, it may be quota driven, they may have different expiration, they may have different grade levels of eligibility. Um, we have to one, drop what we're doing and implement policy. So we have to take the law, turn it into a, a policy and implementation. We need to train on it so our HR professionals know how to use them. And we have to build out the processes and systems to support them. And so um, it, it really focuses us on more policy development as opposed to strategic outcomes. Um, but the good news is what we found is these, these direct hire authorities are very effective. They have allowed us to really go after that uh, unique or specific talent uh, and bring them into the department um, more rapidly. So I, I'll give you an example. Um, at our uh, depots, our Air Force depots, they have, using their one of their unique authorities, have been able to 
a reduced time to hire for certain positions to 40 days. Can you imagine that, right? We talked about 100 days earlier, so there, we're having success there. Our shipyards have seen a 28% reduction. And more broadly across the department, um, where we've used direct hire authorities, we've seen a 20% reduction compared to our traditional hiring methods. So, so they're very effective. Um, it's just very inefficient because we have so many of them. And so what we're, we've been looking at um, is where are there opportunities uh, statutorily uh, with Congress to be able to start to streamline some of those. And then really, uh, we always want to control our, our own destiny is within those things that we can control administratively, where are there opportunities for us to streamline like authorities? Um, where is there opportunity to highlight those that are most effective? Uh, the acquisition community recently published the Section 809 report. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but one of the key takeaways was there are all these hiring authorities, but you really only use four or five of them most effectively. HR community, why don't you advertise those to the hiring managers and hiring managers focus on those? Um, and so that's really a, just a parallel effort, right? And an affirmation that, that um, kind of the complex, cumbersome system that we have now, while it allows us to achieve some of the outcomes we want, is probably not the most efficient way of uh, manner of doing it. When you talk about these 23 hiring authorities, is that over and above things like Schedule A and Schedule C and some of the things that OPM is giving government-wide like for cybersecurity or IT modernization? Absolutely, we have some defense unique authorities in addition to the OPM-wide and then the tr traditional Title V. Does, does that worry you at all that everything's now a unique hiring authority and, and, and you know, what, what's left or, like you understand why Congress is giving you these authorities, like the, the statistics are great. I mean, the idea of reducing, you know, 40 days to get someone in is, is, is probably as good as the private sector. The, the reduction at shipyards at 28% or the cross the department 20% is tremendous, it's important. But what's left that's not, if you don't have a higher authority for, for the chief human capital right. officer position, is that like, oh, we don't, we're not loved? Right, absolutely. Well, not that we're not loved, no. but it, it absolutely is uh, something we ponder about because um, we have so many exceptions, right? We talked about that earlier. Uh, it's really not the monolith system anymore. And so we have, what, 60 plus personnel systems in, in our department alone, and 60 is too many. One's not the right answer, 60's not the right answer. There's an answer somewhere in between that. You know, a handful of the most effective best practices, uh, best systems, probably meets the need, the majority of the needs of our department. And so um, from a strategic out outlook of where we're trying to go, that's what we want to get to. Is there, a, is there an effort right now that, or is this uh, enterprise-wide improvement work group looking at how to take those 60 plus and reduce it to, to whatever the right number is, five, 10, whatever it is? Or is that, done, is that being done through a higher level of the chief management officer? So it, it's, it's both. So we've got, um, so we have our hiring improvement enterprise work group, um, and then part of our broader HR reform effort, which is nestled under the chief management officer, um, where those three line of efforts we talked about came from, um, we work very closely with them in pursuing, you know, where do we need legislative solutions? Where do we need administrative solutions? Um, where do we need technology solutions? And so um, it really is all, critical stakeholders rowing in the same direction. The, the other piece of this is, we talked about time to hire, and your statistics show that there's improvements. Generally speaking, are there other actions you guys are taking beyond the direct hire authority that you're addressing time to hire? Uh, you mentioned training several times. That's part of the process. Hey, hey hiring manager, you can't sit on those you know, resumes for, for six weeks and then complain it took too long to hire. Right, absolutely. So we have... Um, a couple of things that we're doing with regard to that. So we recently launched a um, human resources life cycle course uh, that we're bringing uh, across the department to bring our, our HR professionals in um, to understand how to use the authorities, um, how to use the tools available to them, and just really keep refreshing. So um, OPM is doing something similar with the Federal Human Resources Institute and, and rolling out staffing classes, which is great. Uh, we're a partner with them and we support them. Um, but the reality is they, they can teach the fundamentals, but our department, because we have so many unique authorities, we need to be able to train our own HR professionals. So we have work in that area. Um, and some of the standard tools that you would expect, things like job aids, um, things that would help the hiring manager um, be able to more quickly respond to their hiring needs. And I think that's part of the, the challenge here is 
there's so much work that has to get done, not just to hire someone, but just every day that hiring sometimes can take a back. So you gotta remind people you have certain tools, you have certain authorities, and you have certain ways right. to, to speed it up. Let's, we've talked a lot about hiring, let's go to the opposite side. Uh, you mentioned the ability to, to deal with poor performers. That's always been, if you will, a bugaboo in government. Well, you can't get rid of people or it's too hard to get rid of people, so you either promote them or transfer them or detail them away, and that doesn't solve necessarily the problem. You mentioned that, that you guys are also looking at that issue. Absolutely, so uh, we, we say we, we, hire, we do more than hire firing and wiring in the HR community, um, but the performance piece is a critical part, right? So we get the talent, we get them in the board, uh, we think through retention, but then we also have to make sure that we have an engaged workforce. And when we have performance challenges, um, how do we address them? And so one of the goals um, of the administration broadly when they came in was um, asking agencies to, to think about how you maximize employee performance. Um, and then the president's management agenda has that as one of the key sub-elements, and, and DOD is a co-lead of the, the CAP goal, the cross-agency goal, on uh, priority on workforce management and performance. And so we uh, sourced with RAND to, to sponsor a study that looks at what are the, the things we need to think about, what are the inhibitors that keep us from being able to address poor performance. Um, and, and it's interesting, it, it's, the things that came out of it weren't necessarily things that intuitively we don't know, right? We need to make sure that um, our, our uh, managers have the tools that they need um, and the training to understand uh, what uh, avenues are available to them to address poor performance. Um, we also need to make sure HR professionals are there to support them um, in a timely manner so they get the timely, su timely support. Um, and, and the other outcome from the study uh, was we need to create a, a profession of supervisors. Um, we, we tend to, to promote uh, into our supervisory managerial ranks based on technical ability, yep. um, and then we need to help them make that pivot uh, to supervision as a profession, as a culture of accountability. And so uh, based on that, we've actually worked a couple of recommendations um, to get at that specifically. Um, one is we're piloting management support boards. So it's this real-time expertise um, that helps managers if they have uh, issues, they can come to a seasoned, experienced supervisor and really have some mentoring or some coaching. Uh, we're, we're piloting that in my own organization, uh, more small, uh, uh, on a small scale, uh, where we've set up uh, recurring meetings, we've set up office hours where any supervisor can come in and um, talk to a handful of supervisors that have agreed to be mentors and just work through issues and help them understand tools. Um, we had some success with that, and so now we're working with the with Army actually to pilot this on a uh, more grand scale, 1,500 supervisors down at Army Material Command in Fort Rucker, Alabama, and really start to instill a culture and community of uh, a practice among supervisors. Uh, and hopefully in FY20, we'll start to see the results and see where we can expand that. But Based on our preliminary, what we're seeing within our own organization, um, it's really been a helpful model for our supervisors. I, I think that's a great example of this. So often you hear about senior executive service in the civilian world. Uh, I know you guys have an equivalent or you have SES, and they always talk about, well, you got to have a mentor, and then part of their job is to mentor, but there's so little time. and, and Telling you know, kind of asking people and, and to carve out that time is so important. What's the reaction been? I can only imagine people are excited because we all want to share our, our how smart we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not only that, share how smart we are. <laughs> I mean, I like how you speak those in, Jason. I, I mean, <laughs> it a is a way. good way that I mean, we want to share. But it's also about um, compassion and um, camaraderie, and so making sure that you, you know, where you feel trepidation to take those actions that you have someone there supporting you to, to help build your fortitude. So um, co conflict management, one of the key core qualifications for leadership for, for especially at the executive levels is, is typically one of the competencies that we all struggle with. And so having someone there with you to be able to, to help guide you through, whether it's a peer supervisor, whether it's a mentor or a coach, really will, pays dividends and we're seeing that. Excellent. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we jump, come back, we're going to talk technology. There's a ton to talk there. There's a lot of opportunities. 
We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personnel Policy at the Department of Defense. Successful HR leaders are courageous change agents, inspiring crusaders, and innovation drivers. To meet today's challenges of finding and keeping talent, these leaders need modern technology to help them recruit, train, and develop their workforces. Cornerstone On Demand's cloud-based learning and human capital management software provides government agencies with the tools to easily manage their employee data and processes, allowing the HR heroes in your agency to focus on developing engaged and skilled workers. More at cornerstoneondemand.com slash HR superhero. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personnel Policy at the Department of Defense. Veronica, we went through two of your three pillars in terms of your priorities. Third pillar, IT tools. We could probably spend the whole session talking about IT, but uh, let, let's start with some specifics around data and, and really everything about HR these days is how data is driving decision-making and really across not just HR, but any part of government. How, how's the human resources uh, sector, if you will, starting to look at data in a different way? Um, so that's one thing in human resources function. We have a ton of data, ton. right? A ton of data. And so getting our hands around it, um, we've been very manually focused. And so we have initiatives, several initiatives we'll talk about to uh, modernize our, our HR IT framework and our platform. And the data goes hand in hand with that. Um, how can we take this vast trove of data and turn it into usable uh, information for us to make decisions? And so part of that is work that we're doing right now um, to modernize our um, HRIT core capability platform, um, taking it from um, a, a hardware enterprise into the cloud software as a service. We have an ongoing initiative that we've been working the past year to make that migration. And as part of that, um, what, what it really has driven is and supported is our uh, thoughts around changing our processes. And kind of the, you know, is it a versus, you know, technology versus processes or is it hand in hand? And we see it hand in hand, an opportunity for us to look at that uh, together. And um, our, our HR IT environment, we had six different databases. Um, and through this initiative, we're, we're bringing everyone together into one enterprise tool solution. And in order to do that, um, very proud, we've looked at over 200 uh, major business processes and we've been able to scale that back to 40. Right, so, so we had commonality in our IT system and our tools across our major military departments and our, our uh, defense components, but now we'll have one system, one database, we're all talking the same processes for these core capabilities. Um, and as part of that exercise, uh, we've had a, a variety of groups meeting over the last several months working through this. We've been able to scale down from 1,400 data elements to um, 650. So it is um, a significant amount of work, but the reality is if we want to use this data to drive, drive some of our decisions in, in our, our business domain, we've got to have a handle on what it is. We have to speak a common language. We have to have some common standards. And so this IT modernization effort is really leading us down that path. There's a, so much great news there. I mean, the fact is you, you had 200 business processes that probably all grew up ad hoc, that probably all just, hey, we need a new process for this. Okay, write it, and there's no communication upstream or downstream. So you have 200 down to 40, and then 1,400 data elements, uh, more than 50% cut to, down to 650. I gotta ask, how did you do it? Oh, it, <laughs> a, it, a Herculean painful. lift, very painful. Um, and uh, uh, some great work led through um, our IT reform, as well as through our, our HR IT spec, uh, experts from the functional side of it coming together. And it's really, we've just been sequestering groups of experts um, at a, a variety of sites across the country um, to come together and just tear into it and, and, and look at, so you may call it leave, I may call it vacation. Another organization may call it something holiday, right? So we've got to come up with an authoritative data uh, element for that. And so you get in, you hash it out. Uh, sometimes it's consensus, sometimes it's just slap the table and make a decision, but ultimately really proud of the group that was able to, to get us from 1,400 to 650. I have to ask, uh, what was the most debated term? <laughs> Anything come yeah. to mind as, as 
I cannot believe we spent three hours debating, as you said, vacation yeah. versus holiday versus leave. Jason, I don't know that I could pick it out because I think there were recurring stories. Um, some of it's around parenthetical titling. So I, I, I think every part of our business element had a little bit of a debate. All right. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible lift, and, and, and you guys should be uh, congratulated as long as everyone continues down that path that we're going to follow the taxonomy. And well, and, and we really do have to because if we want to get away from customization and be able to really acquire off-the-shelf business analytics tools, we've got to have um, kind of forward-looking, streamlined, enterprise, agreed-upon data and processes. How much is data driving your decision-making today? Could you put a can you, can you quantify it in some way? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it. I don't know that I could quantify it, but I can say that um, we're getting better at it. And not just within the human capital community, but how we present our data to more broadly our customers, senior leaders in the department. Um, we talked a little bit about HR stat, right? And the whole underpinning of HR stat is data and understanding what the data is telling you so we can make the appropriate adjustments. So, so we've got a, a, a recurring battle with them monthly of looking at that. Um, all of our components are now looking at key performance indicators that are then driving the discussions we're having in these different work groups of, of where should we focus effort, where should we focus resources, um, how do we know what the health of the department is, the workforce. So um, it, it's never to, I would say planning and data are two primary focus areas of where we're trying to drive modernization. And so uh, it goes hand in hand into everything that, that we think about in the human capital community and the department. Well, the other piece of this is not just the data of time to hire or make sure that we all call vacation vacation, but it's also the, the idea of, okay, do we have a group of people who are gonna retire soon? Hey, everyone who does you know, um, let's make it up, uh, help desk services. I know a lot of that's outsourced, but let's just for yeah. our sake of discussion here. Uh, there's 30 people in that group and 28 of them are, you know, 60 and above. Mm -hmm. They may retire soon. Do you have that is, is also, you talk about planning. Is that the other piece where this data is coming in handy? Absolutely, workforce planning. We have a, a, a section dedicated to that. And in the department, when we have such a large workforce, um, we have to manage it through functional communities. And we work with our, our functional community partners to give them the data that they need to, to be able to, to make those decisions. You know, is there a tsunami coming? Is there a, a shift in skilling? Um, there's an example I like to use where, where I'd really like to get to and what we're driving to. I sat in a, a meeting recently with some fellow Chicos and one of, one of the Chicos pulled out a tablet uh, with visualization at her fingertips of uh, the health of the workforce in that agency and the, the time to hire, attrition, retirement projections, different things. She said, hey, Veronica, look at this. Look what I can do. And, and we're, we were sitting in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? So we were outside of the area. And I thought, how amazing is that? She can make some real-time decisions. And then imagine if we could in, incorporate um, artificial intelligence into that to, to, to have, us, have it tell us, you've got an issue looming over here. You need to, to put your attention, make some decisions. Um, you know, I like to use the example, if we need uh, aircraft readiness at 80% and we know that our maintainer's manning rate is at 60%, you'll be able to right there say, the machine is telling us something, and oh, by the way, I have these direct hire authorities that I need to just go ahead and turn it on until I can get healthy, otherwise we're gonna have impact to mission, yep. right? That's where we wanna go. I, I know several, uh Agencies in the civilian world are going on that path. We've done several interviews with the National Institutes of Health, and, and they and the FDA are doing a lot around both succession planning, but also the hiring side. Uh, you brought up uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, you did not bring up, and I, I have to uh, say, I'm a little surprised. Robotics process automation. I know RPA is big in the financial management world. Uh, I could see the similar benefits in the HR world. Maybe talk through what you're thinking around AI, ML, RPA, and any other acronym we can think of. Yeah, we. Um, so the department. Department is big and vast, and um, there are ongoing initiatives uh, sponsored by the, the Chief Information Officer's um, office to, to think about how we use AI across the department. I would say specifically within the human capital community, um, it's where we want to get to. I, I think there are pockets, uh, very distributed pockets of it, but there's not necessarily a key central strategy at this point of where can we leverage AI um, in improving our human capital? I think our first step is let's get 
to the cloud and get to a software solution. And then let's continue to rationalize our IT portfolio in HR, um, you know, our talent management, our succession, our workforce planning, um, where are there opportunities to introduce RPAs um, and other business analytics tools. Um, but, but you're right, we need to, I think, because we as a profession have historically focused on um, kind of the, the checklist approach to doing HR, the compliance piece of that, which is understand the regulations, understand the statute, and check all those boxes. I think those are things that we could have an RPA or have technology do for us so that we can free up our HR professionals to focus more on performance outcomes and outputs. So definitely on the agenda. And you mentioned, I think, the beginning of this, this the segment discussion about the you have a lot of manual processes still. And, and what I've seen from in the financial world is they were happy to get rid of some of those yeah. manual processes and let the, let the bot, if you will, right. the computer just kind of fill in the, 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 the blanks where you needed to fill in. So I imagine that you, as you kind of move to the cloud, as you said, modernize, you'll have those opportunities. And, and that actually gives us a great segue to the, the last part of our discussion, which is the future. We've talked a lot about the current and the past, right. uh, but if we, you know, as you as you look forward, and, and there's a ton of opportunities for you, wh if we have this conversation again two, three, four years from now, what's going to change? You hope what, what's going to be the biggest differences be besides uh, um, maybe some RPA? Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe. So, so I talked about earlier that you know the national defense strategy is is calling upon us to talk about and explore kind of innovative, new, non-traditional ways of of reaching talent, and so I think. If, if we came back in two years, you're going to see just a, a continued expansion of uh, new ways of, of attracting talent, uh, expanding our recruitment, right? We, we, from post and pray to go to talent, right? Go find the talent, go out, recruit, start, re really think about how we get out there in the communities, how we form partnerships and with uh, academia and with industry and bring that into the federal space. Um, you know, two to four years, maybe thinking about what are some different ways that we compensate um, our most highly skilled, sought-after workforce, um, and, and exploring ways that we can introduce that into the department more differently. Um, but I think one thing that won't change um, is merit systems principles. Uh, as we think about new ways of doing that, uh, doing the business of HR, I think what underpins all of it, um, whether it's hiring, whether it's performance, um, whether it's retention, is making sure that we adhere to our merit system principles. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up as a, as a, a leader in the federal human capital community, because it's just, um, it's, it's such a foundation. It, sometimes I, we take it for granted, it, it goes without saying, but um, two to four years, merit system principles, preserving um, veterans, promoting diversity are always going to be things that we're going to think about. Um, but we just need to think about how, what does that look like in the new way that we compete for talent? You bring up the new ways to kind of attract and recruit. There's been a lot of push to kind of, if you'll go outside of the, the typical, I love the, the phrase, uh, post and pray. Are there certain things that are, you're doing today that you could see doing more of, whether it's, you know, not just job fairs, but targeted job fairs, or even uh, non-traditional, like uh, I had a conversation, for instance, uh, most recently with the National Security Agency, part of DOD, yeah. and they have a code breaker challenge. And that code breaker challenge, they put a puzzle up and have people solve the cybersecurity challenge. And, and they found that's a great way to recruit people too, because all of a sudden someone goes, oh, this government thing is not all about whatever they thought it was. Right. Right. Uh, no. So uh, that's a great example. I, I could probably come up with many examples in the cyber area because you have to. That's, right. That's you have easy. to be innovative. innovative. Um, we have financial management. How do you get those people? <laughs> exactly. We've got um, some pilots going on right now, in particular in cyber, where uh, we have what we call the cyber hiring as a service, where oh. we're, we're, where um, our digital de defense dig digital service is working with industry leaders on attracting talent. Um, going out and really recruiting, um, finding those pockets, right? Whether it's through coding challenges or through other venues. And, and, and that's something that we used to do well, um, but then I think we, we lost some of that skill set. And so it's really focusing on um, how do we, we do uh, strategic outreach and recruitment. Um, and we recently published a outreach and recruitment plan um, that really focuses on how we improve that capability in the department. So I think that's one area. The other where we've seen it is um, some of the hiring fairs that you talked about. We've had some um, significant success. Uh, Cyber, Cyber Command um, 
was able to reduce their time to hire from 100 to uh, 70 days and going even lower uh, through some of their recruitment fairs. Um, and then we also have to think about how do we um, reskill our talent or upskill our talent in the future? And we've got some really interesting uh, initiatives that we're doing. We have what's called tech to engineers in the Navy. So how do we take our technicians, our, 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 our critical backbone, um, and give them the opportunity to become engineers? And we have partnerships with an academic institution in Indiana that enables them to uh, pursue a degree and then become engineers. Or we've got our, our DFAS Hire uh, Defense Finance and Accounting Service, sorry, DOD speak, um, uh, Hire a Hero, where we're working with um, severely injured military members and exposing them to, you talk about financial management, to, to new um, skills in the financial management community while they're in uniform, while they're uh, convalescing and recuperating, so that when they then um, separate, we can hire them into those hard to fill uh, financial management civilian positions. And so that's another way we're, we're targeting um, talent. I think the, the reskilling and upskilling piece becomes even more important as this technology plays into it. I mean, even in, the, in, in your world of the chief human capital officer, you have to think about what's the HR professional look like in the future. Mm -hmm. I think that, that's another key question that you'll have to deal with soon enough. Yes, absolutely. And it can't be compliance space. It is that performance pivot. I, I think that's a key piece. Uh, Veronica, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, though, we're out of time. I know we could talk longer. So let me uh, thank my guest, Veronica Hinton, the Principal Director for Civilian Personal Policy at the Department of Defense. Veronica, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Cornerstone. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Transforming Federal HR Processes, sponsored by Cornerstone On Demand on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Numbers tell us a lot, like 64, the percentage of government agencies who think they fall short on talent management programs. That leads to unhappy employees. When people are checked out, it reflects on their work and your agency. One, that's the number of talent management solutions you need to engage your employees. Do it all with Cornerstone. Stay compliant while giving people tools to meet development goals. Agencies thrive by helping their people realize their potential. Stay successful with FedRAMP authorized Cornerstone. CornerstoneOnDemand.com.